1: Hello everyone, Rob Guest from football.london here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Tot- Tottenham. There's lots to discuss today following Tottenham's 5-0 win over Everton. Alistair Gold is joining me as always. I really don't need to ask you how you're doing today, do I?
0: Not really. I probably need to ask you, how are you? Are you okay?
1: I've improved, I think, since yesterday. <laughs> uh Not a good night at all from a personal perspective, but from a work perspective, very good for Tottenham and plenty for us to discuss anyway, isn't there?
0: Look at that professional side to you. To be fair to everyone listening, I saw that last night. Rob would guess he was very angry. He said a lot of angry words about his team who were utterly, utterly useless. Um, Probably worse than Leeds, because at least Leeds attacked. I think Everton just... Kind of didn't really do much of anything. Um, but yeah, despite all of that, he still worked away. That is a sign of a true professional. His emotions did not obstruct him. And and likewise, hopefully with this pod today, um, we're going to talk through it. He's going to relive every painful moment and there'll be no crying. There'll be no wailing that you'll hear in the background or angry slamming of the desk. Um, we're just going to talk it through because, yeah, it was. It was a good night for Tottenham. And uh, putting a, aside your Everton allegiances, um, it felt like a fair few of the things that Conte has been trying to put into place are starting to finally get in there. Um, and we saw a lot of that last night. So, yeah, loads to talk about.
1: Right. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. <laughs> We're not going to discuss the Tottenham versus Everton game. Hope you enjoyed the latest episode of oh. Guest Top Tottenham. Room. Right, There's our
0: professionalism. It's right yeah. out the window.
1: <laughs> right. Do you want to, you know, have your <laughs> say on the game then, first of all?
0: <laughs> I can. I can, certainly, because <laughs> I'm sure you want to talk about it as little as possible. Um Yeah, it was a weird one in that, you know, we said before the match that kind of you'll know, we, we always get a sense of what Tottenham Hotspur is turning up by the first five, ten minutes or so. But actually, I don't know if that really applied last night because actually, despite the eventual result, probably Everton started the game better and they had Spurs a little bit on the back foot, albeit without threatening them. You know, they, they were pushing Tottenham back into their own half a bit and Tottenham were making some mistakes in possession. And then just... Everton just crumbled. They really did. Um, Everton crumbled. I don't know if that's a local delicacy... Um, up in the the Liverpool era, uh, area, but uh, no, certainly it just took quite simple things to to pull them apart. You know, it um, it all began really with that uh, Ben Davies simple pass down the left, Ryan Sessegnon knocking in a very dangerous low ball, and then Michael Keane showing that striker instinct to uh, put the ball past Jordan Pickford. Um, no, to be fair, it was the ball that did it. It was either going to be Kane or King got to it, and and Keane who. I understand you're really happy with the performances of recently, um, you know, turned it into his own net. Um, and then from that point on, there was a little spell after the goal where you kind of thought, "Oh, well, this is funny. Spurs are kind of on top, but maybe um, in terms of the gameplay, but just as it wore on, Spurs just got stronger. Everton got weaker. They kind of, I don't know. I mean, we, we saw it at the weekend, didn't we? A lot of Man U fans having to go at Man U for collapsing uh, and just kind of giving up. And I kind of felt that way with Everton. And I think that was probably the, be the most worrying thing for, for Frank Lampard and the fans was that it just got to a certain point and it didn't look like there was any belief. Um, someone pointed out quite a good moment when Delhi, I mean, we'll talk about Delhi later anyway, but Delhi came off the bench and was trying to press the uh, Tottenham defence when they're on the ball. And he kind of looked around him, and there were no other Everton players doing the same. I don't know whether that's something that isn't going to be Everton's tactic. It may be that's an over kind of hang from Delhi's time at Tottenham, but yeah, I think that spoke volumes about Everton. Poor opposition for Tottenham, and that's not to, to dig out your club. I think you'll we readily admit they were poor on the night as well. But I thought Spurs did a lot of good things, and Conte was it was uh, it was a different Conte after the match. You know, he was. Um, happy Conte. He even referred to, I think if people remember, he told me that he's not a good person to go for dinner with after a game. After last night's match, he said, no, he'd be a great person to go for dinner, maybe even to the disco. So, um, yeah, if anyone sees Conte out at some of the uh, the night spots around London, I'm sure he won't be, because actually last night his um, his wife and daughter were at the game come over from Italy, um, which would have been very nice for him on a personal level to absolutely, you know, get a result like that, hear the crowd singing his name um, and have his wife and daughter watching it all on from the uh, the players and, and staff's wife's area. Um, yeah, different Conte. Said different things, which we'll get on to, which uh, is very much a change in focus for the remainder of the season now, which I think is, a, is enormously a good thing. Um, but yeah, what was it like seeing your team getting utterly spanked at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? That can't have been pleasant.
1: Not at all. And they were saying before the game to yourself and to Adam Jones, the Liverpool Echo reporter, who's also a fellow Everton fan, that feeling confident tonight we actually might get something despite the uh, really bad away form. And Everton started well. Like you said, the first 10 minutes didn't really test Larissa or fashion any openings, but the intensity in that was there. And then as soon as the opening goal went in, it's just like, heads drop and the last thing you want to do in that scenario is then concede the goal two minutes later. And that's exactly what they did. And then it was just game over. And from a Tottenham perspective, they didn't really need to get out of second or third gear because Everton did nothing of note to trouble them. I think it was early uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin's effort in the second half, what drifted wide of uh, the far post. Other than that, the just allowed Spurs to play the game. And, you know, the way they were playing, they opened it up for Tottenham and they just fully took advantage like they did against Leeds, like they did against Man City uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, you say from an Everton perspective how bad it is to lose 5-0. Perhaps lucky it was only 5. Could have been 6, 7 or 8 quite easily. The amount of chances Spurs had, but from a Spurs perspective, perspective, I thought they played really well last night, that's exactly what they needed after the defeat against Middlesbrough and we said in the last podcast about the sequence of results when it's win-loss, win-loss, win-loss hopefully now Spurs will be able to kick on after a really good showing, didn't have to be at the best but I think they can take a lot of positives from it and I think Antonio Conte was really happy because before he wasn't really saying top four's the target but now he is. So I think he's definitely seen something in there. And there was a lot of good performances last night. Harry Kane, outstanding again. Uh, Dan Kulisevsky, very good. Matt Doherty, (laughs) I mean, where have these performances uh, been? He was good. Uh, Rodrigo Bensinker made a big impact in midfield on on his return. So, yeah, uh, really good night uh, from a Tottenham perspective, but from a personal (laughs) one. Horrendous, lowest point of the season, probably lowest point in years, really.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you know, we we, we can all give the the banter towards Gessy right now purely because we've seen Tottenham be pretty awful at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium as well. So it's not like a, it's not like we're digging him out. We've all been there. Um I think what I was most pleased with Spurs in the second half was that they kept going for it. Whereas sometimes when you're throwing it up at halftime, you watch teams just kind of take the foot off the gas a little bit and then just kind of think, oh, we'll preserve our energy for another day. And they didn't do that. And I think that's why we're looking at a goal difference that's gone from minus one to suddenly eight, like a positive eight in, in two matches. Two clean sheets, nine goals. Brilliant. It's like, it's absolutely sorted that. And uh, yeah, I think a lot of players, as you just kind of mentioned a lot of them, a lot of them showed their improving fitness as well. You know, A lot of them, like you say, there were some late chances. There were so many. I mean, Pickford had so many more saves to make. Loris, I don't even think, made. Did he even make a save? I don't think he ever had a shot on target, did they?
1: I can't remember looking at the stats, but... I think it was six off
0: target and that's it.
1: Memory, I can't remember him having anything to do because, I mean, we were debating after the game what you give him in the play ratings because he's literally had nothing to do.
0: Yeah, this is what people maybe don't see when we're trying to I'm trying to work out the player ratings. People might think, oh, how have you given this player this and this player that? Do you know what? My heart, toughest one is always a goalkeeper when they've had little to do. It's so difficult because like, I, th- I think I gave Loris a six in the end last night and uh, Jonathan Veal from the Press Association going, oh, you can't give him that. They've just won five nil. It's like, but he did nothing. It's all very well that the team won, but he was very well shielded by his defence, who I felt on the whole played pretty well, and the midfield as well. And yeah, he, Everton just, you know, six shots, all wildly off target, pretty much all of them. You can't really mark a player particularly high when they've had nothing to do other than pick the ball up and take a goal kick. I mean, you know, I thought six was quite reasonable. Um, but yeah, sorry, there's a little insight into the way our minds work. <laughs> Um, after matches but no on the whole much better from Tottenham and yeah like you say Conte very much talk about the top four I think we'll come to that towards the end but I know you want to talk about some of the individual performances
1: yeah definitely Uh, we'll start with Harry Kane I think I I believe you gave him another 10 in the play ratings he
0: did get a 10 from me Yeah,
1: really, really good. Again, two goals on the night, two very well-taken goals. Second one, a carbon copy of the volley score that leads just over a week ago. But again, it's just his general all-round play as well. Nearly had an assist for Eric Dyer when he hit the bar in the second half. Uh, I know he struggled in the first few months of the season, potentially a hangover from maybe not getting the move to Man City, uh probably as well from England at, at the Euros but over the past few weeks he's uh, probably since Leicester away I think for me that was his standout game of the season at that point Leicester it was absolutely fantastic and he just seems to have kicked on in recent weeks against City, against Leeds now against Everton and he's coming into form at exactly the right time in the season when you need your main man to be scoring the goals and getting uh, your team up the league tail but Kane fantastic, linking up really well as well with uh, his front three with Kulisewski and Son uh, I think there's a lot of positives to talk about Kane at the moment
0: Definitely, and just before I go on, only because this is pure coincidence nobody knows that we're, or nobody out there in the wider world knows we're recording the podcast but literally Morton on Twitter has just tweeted me Alistair Gold, take care of Rob Guesty that has to hurt <laughs> and he seems like a nice man <laughs> <laughs> He is a nice man, and he is hurting, but he's very professionally driving on with this podcast. Um, yes, Harry Kane. Harry Kane, it, it, it sounds almost... I don't know. I don't want to be um, harsh on him, but I, I, I think it's difficult to get away from it because um, Conte said very similar afterwards. With Kane right now, it's almost a bit like Tottenham. He's absolutely been unplayable in what we say, the yeah Leicester game. Brighton game, Man City game, Leeds game, and now last night against Everton. But it's the in-between ones where he's gone quiet and every one of those, Tottenham's lost. Every game in 2022 where Kane hasn't been at his best, Tottenham have lost. Um, and to be fair, that can't be all on Kane because, you know, other players <coughs> excuse me, should stand up and they should step up when he's not playing well. That, that's That's why you have a team. Um, but yeah, you do, you watch games like last night when there's touches he takes and moments of control and spins and turns and and there's moments when he has the ball and there's three players around him and he doesn't ever look like he's going to lose the ball and you just, in the the press box, we're just like making slightly dubious sounding noises um, (laughs) about how how impressed we are Um, and it's a bit like the old Tongi noises I think I used to make when he used to do uh, very impressive things. Which all sounds very dodgy. It's, it's just, it's just very, very um, impressed noises is probably the best way to put it. Um, so yeah, you see Kane on a night like last night, and you just think like, oh, if if you know if you were on that every single game, Tottenham wouldn't have been talking about not being in the top four. You know, they'd be up there. But I, I do hear what I'm saying, and I also feel that's unfair. And I think there are other players that need to step up. Uh, but Conte said afterwards something like. I think he said, yes, he scored against Manchester City, but then he didn't against Burnley. And then he scored against Leeds, but then he didn't against Middlesbrough. So I think Conte's trying to be a bit tough on him as well. And I think, I don't think that's the worst thing with a player like Harry Kane, who we know has that drive to push himself constantly and improve, maybe putting down that challenge to him and saying, well, that's great. You're incredible in every other game. But the other games, we need you to also be this phenomenal. Um, You know, look, no player in the world is phenomenal in every single game. I don't think he could keep that level of uh, football, but certainly the drop in the other games is quite substantial. Um, I mean, last night, God, the when he ran through onto Doherty's first ball, you just never thought he was going to miss. It was so clinical. The volley from Doherty's... Um, sorry, that no, wasn't Doherty's pass for the first goal. No, that was Doherty's pass for the first goal.
1: Yeah, Don't that was he that assisted goal, both it? of Kane's. Definitely yeah, he
0: did. yeah, yeah. And so the floated ball over the top, and then another left foot volley from a tight angle, like he did against Leeds, slightly further out, maybe. Um, it, it's just incredible. And the he did a little cross to Dyer that should have been a goal that he headed against the crossbar as well. And there's so many moments where it's like the pre assist comes from Kane. Yeah, like like Son's goal. You know, that was Kane getting down the right hand side, knocking to Kulisevsky. He pokes it inside the Son. And then Son squeezes it under a very kind of iffy Pickford uh, save. But, yeah, now Kane's just incredible. He's got seven and seven at the moment. He's absolutely starting to find his way back. And if he can break the inconsistency format and shine at Old Trafford on Saturday, I think we'll see that Tottenham do as well.
1: Yeah, he's really good. Uh, I mean, on the subject Kane, we might as well stick with the front three. Yeah. Uh then Kulusevski, I think he Kane will get obviously all the plaudits again for his role in the win. But Kolosevsky, wow, really, really good performances. Eight eight appearances now. He he has made such an impression yeah. in Five those. Starts. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're talking about Tongi Ondbeli and Giovanni Celso. We've spoken about them numerous times in the podcast. Thinking third season, are we actually going to see the best of them now? And he's taking Kolaseski a handful of games to show what he's all about. And the good thing about Kulaseski for me is foreign players usually take 12 to 18 months to fully adapt to life yeah. in the Premier League. He's only gone to get better. I mean, he's been really, really good so far. I think there's still so much more to come from him. And last night, very good again. Two assists. I know for the first one where he assisted Son, Mason Holgate did come out of the back line, but he still had to make that pass and get it right. And he did just that. And then for Region's goal, I think he was just pointing into an area and it just did come. It fell really kindly to Reguilón. Right-footed. To right-footed yeah. for those Swedish
0: fans who tell me off when I say <laughs> that he cuts in too much. Right-footed pass.
1: Well, he's, he's just been absolutely fantastic so far. And one of the worries when... You are new to the league. It's whether you can adapt to that pace and intensity. But he's already got the strength coming up against season pros. He doesn't look out of place one bit. He's got, you know, he's got the vision, he's got the awareness, he's got the movement, and he's just linking up really, really nicely with Kane and Son at the moment. And I think they've missed having that third attacker with them uh, over the past few years because Christian Eriksen's form did start to drop. Uh, a few months before his exit to Winter Milan, January 2020. Same with Delhi as well. Delhi in the past three seasons weren't at his best, but they seem to have someone there in Kolosevsky now who is at the top of his game at the moment and he's only going to get better. And I can remember tweeting after his debut against Brighton about him and someone replied saying, Well, I didn't think much of Kolosevsky in his 22 minutes basically just judging him on 22 minutes. And then you also had some people maybe turning the nose up at the signing of Kulisevski because it was like Fabio Paratici hadn't made any transfers in January. Then it's like he's going to his old club Juventus on the final day of the window just to bring some in to make people happy. I think if he signed at the start of the window, a lot of people would have been happy. But I think he's, he's silencing... Some of his doubters uh, already have been really, really impressed with him.
0: I think he's been superb. He's been so good. Like you say, the adaptation process being so quick. I mean, you know, to be fair, it takes different times for different kinds of players. And I think this was a lot of what Conte was saying um, about Spurs, you know, maybe incorrect recruitment processes at times, that you only have to look at Kuliszewski and see physically he's ready for this league mentally, he's been toughened by what's happened at Juventus and then trying to fit into such a huge club there. So the Premier League for him, it's like, okay, got to bring it on and he's 21 years old. And what he's been doing is just ridiculous. You know, five starts, two goals, three assists in those five starts. And you're looking against, you know, one of those against Man City, where he scores and assists as well. And he's, he's just, um, he has, he's taken to it with the maturity of someone far beyond his years. And I love the balance he brings to that front three, which is weird when you think about it, the fact that he is naturally a guy that kind of cuts in on his left, but yet there's still a really nice balance because you've got Son, whose pace and kind of running and movement pull teams apart. You've got Kulasenski, who's got that strength and also like a, quite a delicate touch as well, the creativity to to, to kind of pass the ball through. But then you've also got Kane, who's got the um, like the killer touch, whether that's a pass or a shot, whatever. So I think as a as a unit, they just blend really well. And look, I don't want to turn this into a Lucas bashing, but I think the numbers show that Lucas isn't a man for the assists. He's not. His stats over his career have not shown him to be a man to, who who racks up the assists in the Premier League, especially. He's improved it definitely in the last eighteen months or so, I'd say. But if you look at someone like Kuliszewski comes in, his game is pretty much all about assists and trying to get other people. He will always look for the pass, maybe rather than shot. Once in a while, he'll cut inside and have a go at goal. But ultimately, he looks to offload the ball more than he tries to shoot. Um, And I think you'll see that benefit Son. I think you'll see that benefit Kane especially as well. And I don't think it's any kind of coincidence that Kane's maybe kind of upturn in form has been boosted, I think, since Kyrgyz come in as well. I think they, they work well together. I quite like the fact that although he's not blessed with pace, you know, he's not the fastest, he's certainly not the slowest, but he knows when others are catching up or, you know, when there's a moment for them, um, you know, whether something whether, whether gets tight around him with opposition players, he makes the correct decisions. And for a 21-year-old, that's superb. It really is. Um, I like him a lot. and and. You know, I was looking at some of the numbers. When when we look at it, Tottenham are paying two point five million pounds to have him on loan this season. That's it. Be another five point eight they win for next season, which they will because it's already been agreed. And then, if they want to buy him, there's an obligation to buy him permanently. Um, it's if certain sporting criteria met, or it's an option if they're not. And both of those prices, twenty nine point two million, and that's payable within five years. If he continues his current trajectory, that's one of the bargains of this season in terms of transfer market. He's, you know, don't get me wrong, Benton has been very good as well. And again, I thought last night showed a lot of good moments. But Kuliski is really showing that, you know, he could be a huge signing for Tottenham. It's very early days. But I think if you look at the the level of the opposition that he's been up against in some of those games as well, um, I've been really, really impressed with him. He seems a very mature guy. Hidden screwed screwed on his shoulders properly. Funnily enough, various Italian journalists said, you know, when he was about to come, that, you know, this is a guy who could be brilliant. It just maybe Juventus hasn't quite worked for him yet. Maybe it's in terms of competition. I don't know. But Conte loves him. You can see. I don't think he's coming out of that starting lineup. Um, the only way I could see it is maybe if there's like a Brighton game where there's a few days in between, and he just wants to give a, f- a bit of fresh legs. But I think right now, if you're starting a game a week, I think Kulosevsky's in that starting lineup. I think he's he's done that well. Um, and Bowes, like you say, hugely for next season if he continues to adapt and gets a pre season under his belt as well.
1: Yeah, I think he's an undroppable at the moment for me. Uh, just going back what, to what you said about maybe the lack of pace at times with him, I don't necessarily think you have to be the quickest player as long as no. you're quick in your thinking.
0: 100%. it's like then,
1: Yeah, Teddy Sheringham as well. It's yeah. like that. Uh, right, let's move on to Sonny because he had a bit of a mixed night again. Uh, yes. Got a goal. Got a goal, uh, as you said earlier. Jordan Pickford should have done a lot, lot better with that. Just went under his body. Uh, but Son, I think after his goal, there was a tweet going around last night basically saying, his goal involvements this season for goals in the city he's now second behind Mohamed Salah of Liverpool, and you're thinking, "Wow, he must have had a really, really good season." But then when you go back and look at his games on paper, no, not really, has he? He's he's just been his form is so up and down. He can either be world class or just non-existent. And I had some moments last night. It was a a mixed performance, and I think you'd certainly agree with that assessment as well.
0: Yeah, I do. It's Sonny's such a funny one because he... I think his movement was really good last night. His running, he pulled Everton all over the place, which, of course, creates space for others. But Sonny's got this funny thing about him where, instinctively, I think he's one of the best finishers out there, instinctively. When the ball comes Mm -hmm. to him and there's no time to think he is there for Tottenham and he scores the important goals. And I think that's what he does. However, when he goes through these little runs of matches where his confidence is low, if you give him an opportunity where it just needs a couple of, like a, a second longer to think about what he's going to do, it feels like he might miss it more often than not. And I think we saw that last night in the first half in that he had a big chance early on um, when I can't remember how the ball got through to him on the first one, but he found himself at the edge of the box. It was a quick break. Um, I think it may have been Kudusiewski and Doherty down the right that kind of had brought it about. But, yeah, he gets to the edge of the box. and just took a big moment of hesitation, and someone ran from behind took the ball off him. Second goal uh, – sorry, second one, which was a goal, but if you wanted to be – and I presume he will be because he's an elite player. If you want to be critical of himself, he will probably look at that and say, i probably hit that quite centrally but it just happened that it went under Pickford, who who made a bit of a mess of it. And then soon after, you had Doty playing a lovely ball outside of his foot, straight into Son's pass, races clear, and then just hits the ball kind of straight at Pickford again. And I think that's what happens. When players, are, especially attackers, are low on confidence, you'll find that they, they just want to make it get on target. They just hit the ball on target. Whereas if you're really confident, you're aiming for the corners. And I find that with Sonny. He's just... Um, I mean, it's that's a great side of him, that even when he's low on confidence, his technique is enough to still score these goals that are purely instinct. And I think that's why we see the numbers we've got for him this season. But just in terms of, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we kind of felt it last night when Son ran through on goal and then we saw Harry Kane run through on goal. You had very different emotions because you kind of felt like Kane was going to put it away. And we were kind of almost thinking about, oh, is it offside? We weren't actually worried that he wasn't going to put it in the net. Whereas with Sonny, it's more of a concern of, will he put it in the goal? Um, But look, if it's the mark of a top player, if he's not playing particularly well and he hasn't, you know, he is losing the ball at times in possession, he's been a little bit sloppy with it, but he's still scoring goals. That's a good thing. You know, some players go for these confidence issues and they don't score. I mean, there's a lovely little moment after he came off, which... I didn't see it until I saw um I saw I saw some commotion on the bench when it came off, but I couldn't see exactly what it is until I saw a little video today. So he goes and gives a high five to all the players and staff, as players always do when they come off. Christian Romero decided, nope, that's not all you're doing. And he kind of grabbed his hand, held onto it, then kind of yanked him over. So Son fell across the, all the players' laps in that row. I think it was Galini, Emerson, and Romero. And then Romero, it was like. There's not like one of those moments when two brothers are fighting. He kind of pulled Son down, started whacking him on the back in like a playful style, started pulling his hair. It was the weirdest but yet funniest thing. And son, you can see is laughing his head off while it's all happening. Um, I love stuff like that because it shows that there's that bond, it shows that the you know the players are happy and there's not all this kind of sniping and divisive clicks and all this sort of stuff. Um But, yeah, that was a funny little aside. But um, Sonny will get better. Like I say, if he's not playing well, but still coming up with goals, however they come, that's a good thing. And, uh, yeah, he'll get better. And just when Spurs need him as well, hopefully.
1: He was a lot, lot better than he was at Middlesbrough. To be honest, I don't think he could have been any worse. To be honest, he had an absolute shocker at the Riverside Stadium. As you mentioned, Romero... uh, He's booking wow i <laughs> uh, <he'd> never <laughs> seen such a stonewall yellow card in my life and then he appealed to the ref basically yeah, saying I got I got, I got the fun. ball
0: do you think it was a South American thing
1: yeah 100% There's it definitely a big rivalry between Brazil and Argentina and yeah. yeah I think he just wanted to leave one on Richarlison and oh, yeah he, he connected he really did connect with him uh yeah, yeah, and then on on his Instagram account after the game, on his Instagram story, he put a picture of Richarlison holding his leg, and uh, when he was receiving the booking as well, just you know, trolling Richarlison really. Yeah. For that. Although
0: are they if were going to be fair? His PR team or whoever puts them up. Yeah, I think we decided that they were the only photos of the game at that point of Romero. Um, But yes, you still can decide not to put it up. So yes, he was still (laughs) saying ha-ha, kind of in a Nelson from the Simpsons voice. Um, Yeah, it was was such a bad tackle. It was like the latest tackle I've probably seen in a football game for a long, long time. It was no intent to get the ball. And then, yeah, to turn around and kind of claim he got it. It was like, what? (laughs) It was almost, you know, it was almost after the game. It was so late.
1: Yeah, it, it wasn't a good one. Adolf, let's say. Right. right. Uh, we saw Rodrigo Bentenker come back into the team uh, last night following his recent absence. I think he certainly made a big difference in the midfield. We yeah. saw the other day against Middlesbrough when it was Pierre Emil Hoiberg and Harry Winks. They didn't have a good time at all, really. Johnny Howson, an experienced player for Middlesbrough, was just running rings around them yeah, at so times. Beautiful. And Having Benton Kerr coming back into the team, partnering Hybeeg, there was just a lot more quality in their uh, ability to get on the ball, get him moving forward, put his foot in, you know, just win it and just make a nuisance of himself in the middle. But on the other hand, didn't really have much to do in the midfield battle uh, because Everton really didn't lay a glove on them. I mean, they had Donny Van der Beek, Abdulai, the Corey, and Alan. In the middle, but, I mean, Spurs, he, he, he just won not a battle at all for them, really, was it, in the middle?
0: No, no, it wasn't. And it's funny enough, those are players, especially Dukura and Allen, who have given Spurs problems in the past. You know, they really have. But just what I like about Benton Kerr, there's a bit of a good and a bad side to it. He's He reminds me in his laconic laid-back style, a little bit of uh, Berbatov in some aspects, the way he plays the ball. The way he has that little extra bit of time, it doesn't always work. He gets caught out a couple of times, and we will get that this season. There'll be moments where he gives the ball away. And funnily enough, that's another thing that Italian journalists told us as well, that he will have these moments where he gives it away in daft positions because he's very confident in his own abilities. Uh, But what he does have that, obviously, Berbatov didn't have was um, that aggression in the tackle sometimes. Um, And he, he will launch into a challenge, and he will... Um, use those dark arts that we always talk about when it comes to Juventus and teams in Italy of um, there was one, I can't remember, it was, someone was running away from him and he was just, you look back at the replay and Benton is just holding his shirt the entire time to stop him getting away um, now he played well, he just brings a calm he brings just a moment, a beat just that little beat of take a breath think about what you're going to do with the ball and that was a massive problem with Winks and Hojbjerg against Middlesbrough they were just launching the ball forward and just playing silly passes at time when they got the ball and they were just wasting possession. Um, Or the the defense was bypassing them because they didn't believe that they could keep possession. And with Benton Kerr, there's a lot of confidence in him. You could see that. He demands the ball. He gets it, plays it well. And again, you know, I think he's adapted, obviously not to the same lightning degree as Kudusensky, but I think he's adapted quite quickly so far to the Premier League in the slightly more limited game time that he's had. Um, I think, I do think, and it's interesting that you mentioned it, and again, we'll talk about this towards the end about the top four thing, but I do wonder how much the very quick adaptation of Benton and Kulisevsky has made Conte think, well, do you know what? Maybe we could go for this top four. And he he did refer to it in his quotes about how, you know, we've got two players that have made us more complete. And I think they do. I think Benton just brings that little bit extra in the middle, and um, I, you know, this isn't to lay on more of a the pile on onto Harry Winks, but I feel like Hoybier plays better when Benson Kerr's alongside him. I think he does. I think it it's just something about the uh, the partnership seems a little bit better fitting, Um and you know, still yet to see Oliver skip kind of with Benson Kerr as well, which has all the makings of a very Kind of battling, cultured partnership as well, in there, both players with high levels of technique and also um battling quality. So, yeah, it bodes well that centre midfield. And you know, you've got young Pape Mate to come back into it as well as sorry to come into it at some point. Um, very young, and it's, it's, I'd imagine, uh, still intrigued to see what happens with him next season because I don't know whether there's going to be a spot for him straight away. Um, but yeah, Benson Kerr. Yeah, very good. Very impressive performance. Um, Still lots of improvement he can make. and I'm sure he'll be aware of that as well. And just getting up to the speed of the Premier League and when not to pass it and when he can. But uh, yeah, yeah. obviously, like you said, you brought it up earlier. We all kind of looked at that last-minute raid on Juventus and it felt very much like a, okay, we're just going back to your old club to grab a couple of players. I think there's an element of that as a strategy Not being a great example of the overall window, but I don't think there's any doubting of the quality and um, accuracy in the players that they've gone for in terms of who fits this team and this league really well. Um, And you know, the more and more I hear Conte talk about it, the more and more I wonder how much of a part he had to play in that. I do, because I think you look at the summer signings and you know it's very difficult to look at other than Christian Romero as being a success. Um, at this point but then you look at the two signs after Conte came and suddenly they both seem to be really fitting well in and you kind of get the sense that he must have had some kind of say in that maybe I'm giving him too big a part to play and maybe it is that just uh, Fabio Paratici did well for him but um, I don't know I don't know there's a part of me that just feels a bit of a Conte influence there
1: both of them were absolute bargains as well when wow. you look back at Absolutely. the price I think Paratic needs to go back in the summer and see if he can get Vlyvich on a cut price deal.
0: <laughs> that might be tricky. Have
1: <laughs> to just pay what 75 million for him or something? Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah maybe 7.5. Yeah.
1: Well, Paratichi does like a loan with then an option or obligation to buy the, the following yeah. season. So we'll have to and wait and transfer. see.
0: He loves a free trial, so yes. I think we might see a couple of those this summer.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think there's one person we need to talk about now after last night, or two two players, Matt Doherty and Ryan Sessignon. Matt Doherty has had such a frustrating time since he yeah. came to the club from Wolves. It was so, so good in the spirit of Santos Wolves team, consistently scoring, setting up goals as well. Always seemed to in and around the box. When he came to Spurs, he's playing more of a right back than a white, uh, right wing back. Uh, in and out of the team, even when Nuno was in charge, you're thinking Nuno coming back, linking up again, that would both be uh, Nuno would put him in the team, but he just never did. It was Emerson who got the nod. But I think the Leicester game for me, for Doherty, just seemed to be a bit of a turning point for him when he came on at half time. Really, really good showing at the King Power as he did play really well against Leicester on the final day of uh, last season. And last night, his best performance in the Tottenham shirt by far, so good. I mean, not just in an attacking sense as well. It's just his all-round game at the moment. He just seems to be oozing confidence. And you can see that in terms of his assists. Obviously, Kane will get the credit for the finishes. But the assists were really good, especially the first one for me. First time pass, precise, put Kane through. And then second one was just as good, really good ball over the top. And he's finished it. Kane finished it really well. And just listening back to Conte's interview on Spurs TV last night, he was saying Doherty is definitely one of the most improved players at the club since he's been there on the training pitch. So he's definitely showing the desire and will, what Conte wants. And he's just getting his just rewards now on the pitch. And hopefully we will see a lot, lot more of Doherty over the rest of the season. But when he is in the team, it's a case of you have to do it on a consistent basis. We saw it against Leeds and Everton. Uh, Middlesbrough, not great. So you just need to do it on the weekly basis. But there's definitely something for him there to build on and really kick on now.
0: Yeah, 100%. I think in, in, on the uh, column marked things I love to see in football, one of those is definitely players who have maybe been criticised quite heavily and I think unfairly with Doherty in terms of, well, we'll get into it, but players who have been criticised come in good and show them what they can do. Um, and I think with with Doherty, it's, you know, you even mentioned it there. It's like Spurs signed him in summer of 2020 as this rampaging wing-back who did, you know, I, I use this expression a lot, but because it's one that I think people sometimes forget, in his two years in the Premier League, before he joined Spurs, only Trent Alexander-Arnold created more chances for, um, for his teammates than Matt Doughty did as a, as a right kind of wing-back, right-back, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think that says everything. And it's like, I've had people go, oh, yeah, but Wolves didn't score a lot of goals. Uh, so that's his fault. So I was like, no, no, he created the chances. They just didn't finish them. And I think the massive thing for him is he's come to Tottenham. He's never really played in the role. It's like, why would you sign a guy who's been so good in a particular role and position and they're not playing in there? And like you say, Nuno came along and Matt Doherty was probably rubbing his hands thinking, yes, finally. And Nuno turns up and plays a back four. Like, <laughs> he absolutely stuffed him. And then I don't think it's any coincidence that you're now seeing Matt Doherty having a run of games in his natural position and shock horror, he's looking confident and he's doing the things that he's really good at. Um, and this is the thing with football. And I include you know myself and ours as journalists as well. We don't show much patience for people. Maybe we don't look at the overall kind of picture. Um, but yeah, Matt Doherty is... I think it's lovely. It's lovely to see. and You can see the smile on his face. You can see how much he feels a part of everything. Again, that he's contributing. And those, like that those two balls for the goals for Kane, they were phenomenal. And adding the outside of the foot one for um, Son as well, which should have been a goal. And I can understand why What various WhatsApp groups this morning had photos of Maradona with uh, Matt Doherty's face swapped onto it because he kept coming in field. He kept coming, which was really good. This is kind of what Conte wants is when the other wing back is going out wide, he wants the other winger or wing back to come in slightly and be on the other side, ready to receive the ball. And that pass for um, Song, I don't know he was running through the center of the pitch. He was like a new creative kind of playmaking central midfielder. Um, oh, he was excellent. He was really, really good. And Yeah, he was excellent against Leeds. I actually felt against Middlesbrough, he wasn't one of the worst. I didn't feel that was a particularly bad performance. I think we kind of look at that chance that he had when he maybe should have squared it to Sonny and he tried to shoot. But I think I said this last week, I understand why he tried to shoot. I think we probably all would have done in that scenario because the goal was gaping for him. Um, It's brilliant to see. And, you know, I don't want to make this about Emerson, but... You know, you've got a right wing back who has got a really good final ball on him. And he's showing it. That's exactly what he can do. And again, a bit like Kulisevsky, I think that's his spot to lose now. I think it's his to have for the remainder of the season, as long as he stays fit um, and as long as he keeps doing what he's doing. Because Spurs, you know, they look so much more threatening with him down that right-hand side. They look like they're going to create. Kulisevsky and him have got a great little partnership going now. They link up really well. They know where each other's going to go, and I think we're starting to see that with um, Doherty and Kane as well. We know Kane and uh, Doherty are good mates off the pitch. They're proper golfing buddies, and I think that translates into some of the uh, the balls that we saw. You know that that ability to know that Kane was going, and so that's a split second ball. That first one, that really is. You know. We talk about players having that extra moment in their brain, but to have a right wing back who can do that. And then the flighted ball for his second, the technique involved to clip that was, we're talking about golf. That was like a golf shot. You know, it's like he's chipped that perfectly into his path. And uh, this sounds very like all Kane had to do was volley at home, but people know what I mean. It was like the trajectory of it. All Kane had to do was kind of meet it. And that's not to say the technique from Kane was not incredible, but the ball was just put into that perfect place for him to do what he did. Um, and it's it's great. I think a lot of the players are really happy that Doherty's getting what he deserves as well. Because like we said, a bit like Joe Roden. We keep hearing these things about Joe Roden as well. They're working so hard behind the scenes when they're not getting their chances. And, you know, you'll have players that, you know, without naming names, because who knows who they could be. But there's, there's always players at clubs who, when they're not playing, they're a bit of a pain in the backside. You know, they they may be showing their displeasure. <clears throat> but then you've got players like Doherty and Ronan and people like that who just give everything still. And I think that makes it sweeter for the coach as well. Conte, you can see. Conte is delighted to give him the chance as well. And he keeps bigging him up every chance he gets. So, uh, no, very happy with Matt Doherty. And uh, we're going to talk about the left as well.
1: Yeah, over on the opposite side, Ryan Sessignon came off with an injury. Conte said it's uh, a muscular problem. Conte examined it today and then obviously see what the extent of the problem is, but he's, he just has rotten luck with injuries. You could just, I mean, I think you were upset when you you just saw him just go and sit down on the pitch. He was like, oh no, like oh, it's not disgusting.
0: again.
1: because It just happens so many times with him. And it always seems to be, especially when in he has a chance, or he's in a bit of form as well, and played well in the first 45 minutes yesterday. Putting a really good ball, uh, what Keane put into his own net. Your
0: uh, your guest is shaking his head right now and disgusted.
1: Yeah, yeah, but other than <laughs> that, yeah. on really, really good at the moment. He's same like Doherty and Kolosevsky and the others. It's like. When you're when you've got confidence, you're just playing at your best. You feel like you can do anything, and he's. I think he's starting to see the best of him now at Tottenham. It's just been so hit and miss for him so far. Yes, he's had a number of injuries what have limited his game time, but this is probably the time where he actually he's getting a consistent run in the first team for the first time in his Spurs career, and he probably is the better suited player to the left wing back role of uh, Reguilón. And we've seen that in the past few games against Leeds and then first half against Everton. Also did well against City in terms of defensively rather than yeah. moving Very forward and attacking. Yeah, uh, so it's just such a shame for him. Uh, if he is to miss out a few games, Sergio Reguiland made his case last night, scored, what, 40 seconds or so after his introduction... Yeah played well, so at least Conte knows, if Sessegnon is missing out, he has got uh, a capable player to come in and replace him
0: Yeah it's. Uh, I should stress you know, when Gessie said I was upset in the press, you know, I, I wasn't bawling my eyes out, but it was more, it's more a frustration for him, you feel Sessegnon's frustration because like you say, it's his sixth start in a row, it's absolutely getting some form together that ball was lovely for the first goal. He he did a few things that, you know, showed his age in terms of he's only 21. And there were a couple of sloppy moments where he got caught in possession in his own half. Um, but it's it's no coincidence that, that Conte really likes him. And he thinks he can be such a big player. He and Doherty are the two natural wingbacks in the squad. Um, but then it was also interesting that when Conte's talking about him afterwards, he calls him the player. And I think that is a bit of annoyance at the kind of the injury thing is, you know, the player or this is the, a player who always has this problem when he has a bit of a consistency, he gets an injury. Um, and it all kind of stems from that serious hamstring injury he got in the um, European under 21 championships in the summer before he joined this thing ever since then. And this is the problem as well as when you or I or the fans will go, oh, why is he not running at a man? It's probably a part of him that thinks, because I'm going to bloody snap that hamstring again. I'm going to do something to it. And lo and behold, you know, we don't know if it's a hamstring or not. It looked like it could be. I mean, the only crumb of comfort I might take from it is the fact that he didn't come straight off because he just could not play on. He played another minute or so just to get to the half-time whistle. Um, yeah, we'll find out more today. They're doing the evaluations on him today. I just, I just gutted for him. Um but he's a player with a lot of time, and hopefully it's not too serious. And like you say, Sergio shows you You know, Conte said to me the other day that Reguilon has to earn his place in this team. He's got to fight for it. And he did it. 41 seconds in um, after coming on, straight for the start of the second half. Bang. He does exactly what Conte wants from his wing-backs, slams into the ball, uh, the ball into the goal from Kouroszewski's right-footed uh, low ball across the box. And um, this is the key for Reguilon now. Reguilon like Emerson, has admitted he's not a wing back It's not a role he's really played in his career. He is a full-back, and it's, he's got to adapt to it. I'd say, in terms of Reguilon, his pace and his technique lend itself to being... He could be a very good wing back But, you know, if I'm going to call out Lucas Moura on his assists, I think it's definitely something that Reguilon has to improve. I mean, you know, his last... I'm trying to think his... I think that was only his second goal of the season... I don't think he's provided an assist since early December. Um, this is the side of his game that's really got to improve. We've had a few moments where he's been in the box and there has been big moments for Tottenham, and he, you know, he's fluffed it or, or the keeper saved or something hasn't quite gone right. So this is this could be a chance now for a Reguilon in the next maybe game or two, or depending on how long Session is going to be out for, um, he's got to stamp his claim back on that spot because he's, he's very talented as well. He's only younger, was he, 25, 26?
1: Around Obviously, that age, yeah.
0: Yeah. Obviously, there will be questions over whether Real Madrid come back in this summer. Um, use their, it's their final summer of the um, the clause that they've got to buy him back. Um, but, yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think the wing-back slots as a whole are looking a lot, lot healthier than they were probably, you know, even even just like a month ago or so, um, I think Conte's, Conte's work is
1: showing. Yeah, there was quite a funny moment during the first half with Sessignon and Conte. Uh, Spurs were trying to work the ball across the back line, get it to Sessignon, and Conte was, what, 10, 15 yards down the yeah. touchline, away from his He's technical area,
0: player.
1: basically telling him and telling Sessignon what to do when he gets the ball. And... Conte eventually ended up walking back towards his technical area. Martin Atkinson was fourth official, ended up having a word with him. And then near the end of the first half, Conte was literally right on the corner of his technical area again. And Atkinson was like stood over him like a hawk, just making sure he didn't stray down the touchline again. But I mean, he was so far down the touchline at one point. Right. Conte's post-match comments. He said top four now is a target you see that?
0: Why not? It's got to be. It's like you and I have been saying it every week. Like The frustration is Tottenham are still there and every other team around them is saying, go on then. And they haven't been taking the opportunity. But now, because of the bizarre nature of this win-loss, win-loss, win-loss thing, Tottenham have won their last two Premier League games because the FA Cup game was in the middle. So suddenly, they're right up there. What, they three points off Arsenal for? four. Got have got every team apart from Arsenal. And I would say about Arsenal, yes, I think they're starting to put together a decent bit of form. However, their running is probably the hardest. There's a lot of big games they've got to play in there against some, some of the top teams. Um, So there's no reason that Spurs shouldn't look at that and just think, why not? And I think it's quite interesting content. If I'm going to be kind of, I suppose, it's just being honest, I feel like in recent weeks, he's almost been disconnecting himself with the club slightly. Some of the things he's been saying, it's been like, oh, you know, I'm someone that deserves to be at club winning trophies. You know, oh, this isn't the Tottenham I kind of expected when I walked in the door. It's almost like distancing himself slightly from it. It's like, if it all goes wrong, it ain't me, (laughs) lads. You had this mess before I came. Um, Whereas I kind of felt like last night, and whether this is the emotional roller coaster Conte goes on, whether he admits it or not, or whether it is part of the strategy that he does kind of claim he puts in, he was just, well, in his own words, taking responsibility last night. He said that very clearly himself. You know, it starts with me. Let's take responsibility. We've got 12 games to go. Let's get let's go for it. Let's go for this top four. You know, that should be our target. We can't win a trophy. Top four has to be the target now. And I think that would gone down well with the players. I think the players haven't really deviated from that. Every interview I've seen with a player, they've kind of been saying, well, our ambition is still to get top four. And I just wonder whether Conte's looked at it and thought, you know what? Every interview, I'm playing this down as if it's something we can't do. And at some point, whether you mean it to or not, that's going to seep into the psychology of the players, I think. And so I think so... When you've got players like Harry Kane, who absolutely should be playing in the Champions League week in, week out, Um, I think, yeah, I think now's the right time. They're so close to it. He's got these games almost every once a week now. We're about too many midweekers. Probably just Brighton and maybe the Arsenal game. Um, I think Arsenal has to be midweek. There's going to be no spare weekend to chuck it in, is there? So other than that you know, Conte's got all the time in the world to prepare for these games. And as he reminded us again, and something we've consistently said, when Antonio Conte's had five or more days to sort out this Tottenham team, they've won almost every one apart from one they drew. Um It's it's no coincidence that his style requires proper preparation. So, so I think he's looked at it. I think he's looked at the whole picture and he thought, let's just go for it. Let's have it. Because I do find it quite exciting in a way that if Conte could get top four with this Tottenham team, it's a big if because they still, we 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 both very much are aware before anyone says it that we're talking about Tottenham after a win and that could be followed up by a loss. Very much so, the pattern has proved that. But if they were to go to Old Trafford and do something, you know, they could get they could get in that top four, and then suddenly it's a very different Tottenham Hotspur this summer. It's um excuse me, so Tottenham Hotspur with proper foundations to keep someone like Conte, to make Harry Kane not want to leave again this summer. You know, it totally changes everything, I think. Financially, the profile of players they can bring in, just the, the mood around the entire club changes. Conte likened to getting the top four to winning the Premier League or winning the Champions League this season for Tottenham. And I get what he means, you know. You'll have those out there will be like, oh yeah, they're winning Arsene Wenger's top four trophy, are they all oh, This sort of stuff. But I think it's more the fact that the scale of it would be a terrific achievement, I think, this season with all the utter chaos that's taken place. Um, I mean, you know, do you think they can do
1: it? 100%. Uh, I always think the being in the top four race, I know Conte's played it down a number of times saying no, they're not going to be able to get there but since December when the first started stringing the run of results together under him they've always been in and around the top four and they have missed the chance to take the driving seat and take control of the top four race by losing some of the games in hand Uh but given the results around them with Manchester United and West Ham being so inconsistent and then Arsenal have been inconsistent at times but have started to put a run together recently even when Spurs have lost you're thinking yeah well you're only really still a few points off off, and you have all these games in hand and for me conte it's like he's totally playing it down so then if he achieves that goal in the end and he gets Tottenham in the top four it's kind of well look what i've done with this group of players i've overachieved and met this target that you that you wanted so then it's like now, you give me proper players in the summer and watch what I can do with them. I, I see it like that. I think deep down, he's always believed they can get in the top four. It, obviously, if they can fix this inconsistency, what's totally plagued them. Uh, key to that is going to be the next two games, Manchester United and West Ham. You need to beat your rivals along the way if you are going to finish far. And for me, March probably is the most important month in the season because if you can build up some real momentum in March then you can take it into the running and put a really really good run together. Now if they can win at Old Trafford and beat West Ham it gives Spurs an advantage over those two then you've got obviously the Brighton game as well in between there as well they can potentially win there so they can hopefully put a bit of distance between those two clubs, win the games in hand go into April after the international break in top form and, you know, win it. And I think they're very much in the race. I still think Arsenal probably are the favourites at the moment, given they've got an extra game in hand and how they've been doing. But Arsenal, you know, could still find a way to balls it up somehow. So we'll uh, have to see as well.
0: Yes, yes, yeah. One little thing I just wanted to briefly, before we go away from the game, which we didn't really touch on, um, the lovely little Delhi Alley moment, the goodbye. Um, that really was so nice. And I don't think we can kind of leave the podcast without saying it because, you know, he got a great ovation. He was even warming up. He got, chant, uh, he got uh, applauded. Then he got his chant was so loud when he was about to come on as a sub. And at the end of the game, I kind of felt for him because it was a bit like his new team's just been walloped 5-0. It was like, oh, what do I do now kind of thing. So what he did was he deliberately first went over to the Everton fans, applauded them, those who, you know, fair play to him, who'd stuck through all of that to the very end of the game and and, uh, before their long trips back. And he went over and applauded them. And you could just see him having this little moment. I think Dyer went up to him. Uh, Dyer was playing with a cold throughout the game. Um... Who was it? Dyer went up, Kane went up, Sonal went up to him. But then he had this little moment. You could tell he was thinking like, oh, what do I do now? Do I just applaud the Spurs fans as I'm walking off? Or do I kind of do some kind of lap? Or is that disrespectful maybe to to the Everton fans? And then thankfully, club captain Hugo Lloris comes over and just essentially grabs him and pulls him and just puts his arm around him and says, look, come and say a proper goodbye. And He took him over to the south stand. It was lovely because that was where the main, like the bulk of the remaining Spurs fans were, and he just had this moment of where they were singing his name. It was like applauding. You could almost, you could see he was getting, like, I think, quite a little bit emotional as well. I think he was fighting to keep it all in, um, and it was lovely because whatever you make of Deli Ali in his final seasons, you know, which were very difficult seasons for him, he wasn't playing many games, and he was, he wasn't really able to show what he can do. You cannot escape the fact of the wonderful moments that he provided Tottenham Hotspur. You know, one of the best young players in Europe. His first three seasons or so, he was coming up with the goods in big matches against all of the top teams, scoring huge goals, great assists. When you think of Pete Pochettino time, Deli Alley was front and centre as one of those stars in that team. And I just thought it was lovely that, so quickly after having left you know when you leave it in a January window there's no real chance to say goodbye um but to actually have this moment where he could come back and the, all the fans that were left could kind of salute him in a way and thank him it, it was nice and you know I'm sure you hope he goes on to do very good things for Everton but I think Tottenham fans should as well because everyone wants to see a player like that get back to what they were And even for those slightly more cynical fans, financially Spurs will do better if he goes to Everton and does well because of the deal that's in place. So, yeah, and I thought that was really nice. I thought it was very good of Lloris as well. It was quite an important thing for him to do to help him out last night. And, uh, yeah, I hope he does well for your lot because um, very talented player in there.
1: Yeah, it was a real classy moment from Hugo at the end just to lead him there and... Given the chance to say a proper goodbye because he never had that because it was such a late move in the January transfer window. And we also saw it in August when Moussa Sissoko and Danny Rose had the chance as well to say goodbye in the Watford game when they did a whole lap of the pitch. And that was really nice to see. So, yeah, uh, obviously Delhi wouldn't have been happy with the end result, but I think the reception he got, during the game and then after the game, and the standing in the basin as well when he came on. I think that would really have touched him. Yes, sir, I think it would have been really pleased. And was some people saying he were booed the first time he touched the ball as well?
0: Yeah, there's been different opinions <laughs> that. Some people say that. Uh, I know John Veal from the PA, he said that. I've heard some people say, no, he was cheered. But if he was booed, I think that's just how football works, isn't it? It's just the funny, weird quirks of fans. Chant his name in the next moment, boo him. But, yeah, but ultimately, a really nice moment. And, uh, you know, after that dreadful performance by Everton, he might get his chance to get into the starting lineup because, quite frankly, you don't stick without starting 11 again.
1: No, two big games coming up against Wolves and Newcastle, so I think Lampard is going to have to change it, and Delhi's not started yet, so he might fancy his chances of coming in and uh, playing a big role in those two games. Before we go, just going to have a little chat about Tottenham season tickets for the 22-23 season. and know you were studying them yesterday, Ali. Do you want to fill everyone in on the latest?
0: Yeah, this is one of these where it's good, good news, bad news scenario. It's like the good news is Tottenham have frozen the season ticket prices for next season, which is the right thing to do, especially after a hideous another hideous kind of mess of a season, which, you know, it may still end in good ways. But ultimately, I think it's the right thing to do, especially when people are coming out of a pandemic and, and money's a bit, you know, tight for people i saw some people still moaning on twitter oh, the prices should have gone down it's like it doesn't work like that does it what, what football club is generally going to reduce their season ticket prices i'm sure maybe some do but yeah i, I don't think clubs are going to do that but freezing it is a good thing that's a start the only thing i thought was a little bit iffy um, or i didn't wasn't as big a fan of it, and i think by the looks of it social media uh, a lot of Tottenham fans aren't as well, it's just how quickly the deadline is coming around. Um, from what I can see, it looks like they're doing it a little bit earlier than recent windows in terms of the the actual window itself. Um, in recent years, it's been a little bit different because of the pandemic has caused some kind of uncertainty over staff. And before that, you had the stadium, the new stadium, and different phases of switching over fans to that. But, you know, to have your renewals deadline on April the 29th, which is almost a month before the end of the season, those far more cynical than me might suggest that Tottenham are trying to quickly get people locked in and get their money before the end of the season, which could, you know, it could go the other way and it could be a mess and Conte could potentially move on if he's not happy. Harry Kane might ask to leave. And in that case, you know, these people would be pretty disgruntled that they've given up their money for a season that could be one of, you know, absolute mediocrity. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan of that date. I was trying to look back, and I think the last time there was a similar date, it was two... Where was it? 2015, I found that there was an April 30th deadline, so that was the next day. And that year, the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust asked the club to delay it by a few weeks because they felt it wasn't fair. Um, and the trust have come out again and said, you know, we told the club this would not be popular, and it hasn't been, and, and we'd uh, you know we'd like them to to move it. I just feel with Spurs, the powers that be at the top, and whether it's Daniel Levy, whether it's the board, or whoever it is that makes these decisions, they've just proven on so many occasions how bad they can be at reading the room. There's so many moments where you just think, oh, why did you do that? You know, they do some good stuff. A lot of the off-the-pitch stuff has been very good at Sonnen, but it's just moments where they just make a decision. You say, oh, come on. Do you not know your own fan base? Do you not know kind of the thoughts of the people on the ground and how this affects them and stuff. And I just think for them to come out and listen and maybe move this deadline a bit, you know, I think it would show it would show something a good positive move ahead of a summer that they really need the fans on side. They really do. Because if everything goes pear-shaped this summer, there's only one way the fingers are all going to point. And they really want the fans to kind of not be as as upset as they could be because if the fans are already raging at having given over their hard-earned money and then things go wrong, it's going to be so toxic around that club. It could be disastrous. So, yeah, I think this has to be a scenario where they're, yeah, they're giving something a little bit back. Look, I know from their point of view, they're thinking, we get that money in a bit earlier. We can look towards the transfer window. It all goes towards that as well. Um, it's more funds for that. I get that. And I get that they probably also think, well, they're always telling us they've got thousands of in the waiting list waiting for season tickets. So if they don't, if someone drops out, someone else takes their place. You know, happy days, we get the money either way. But I just think this is one of those where just even it's just a PR exercise on their behalf. Just do it. Just do it to not look like the money grabbing club. It's just it's it's not the worst thing in the world, just for a couple of weeks extra. Um, but you know.
1: Whether it happens or not is another thing. Well, I'm in a similar position myself. I've just renewed my Everton season ticket. Uh, prices have gone up. I don't know what division they're going to be in next season. I could potentially have an extra four games in the Championship or in the Premier League. I don't know. But Everton's deadline is for renewals April the 29th. And I think, no,
0: there you go.
1: yeah, I think it might be a case with all clubs really similar.
0: Yeah, so you know, in the in the interest of being fair, there you go. There's another example of another club that is doing that. But I suppose that the statement still remain or the question still remains, is it the right thing to do? Um especially if, especially for your lot as well. You know, <laughs> you could be playing for a more expensive season ticket in the championship. Um that would be ridiculous. I don't know whether I don't know. Could they come retrospectively, could they come out with something afterwards to say We'll bring them down because we're down a division. I don't know how that works.
1: I've no idea. Let's wait and see what happens. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. But I think all they'll say is, well, you've got four extra home games this season. That's why the price has gone up. It reflects it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Right, I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Tottenham. Lots to discuss today in the world of Tottenham after uh, a good 5-0 win over Everton. It's Manchester United next up on Saturday evening at Old Trafford. Really, really big game in the top four race. And fingers crossed Spurs can carry on their form and get another three points in the bag. So as ever, thank you for listening. And just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news.